Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. Now I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're doing that, I want to share an interesting story that I read about this week. I never heard this before. It involves a town, kind of like the town I grew up in, a town called Gold Beach, Oregon. Gold Beach, Oregon. It's a really small town. Maybe not quite as small as Ragley, Louisiana, but it's small. 2,000 people. And if you're from a small town, you know that there's not a lot of things to do in a small town. Uh, Not a lot of things to talk about. There's not a lot of news. But ironically, there always is. It doesn't matter how small the town is. There's always like that hometown publication, like the newspaper or the magazine, those kind of things. Uh, That's always fascinating to me because I wonder about whoever it is that's responsible for putting news in that. That there has to be routinely weeks where they're like, there's nothing to put in here. What do we put in here? And you, you know, you've gotten those before. If you're from a small town, it's like Aunt Betty's recipe for apple pie and, and this timetable for replacing the stop sign that got knocked over by the Johnson's boy on his tractor and the Smith's got a new dog. There's nothing to put in there. And that's kind of what I was reading about. In 1997, there was, I believe, an editor and his name of this, this publication, which was called the Backwoods Home Magazine. That's the best name ever. He, he started putting the magazine together. He started putting this publication together and realized when he got done with all of the news for Gold Beach, Oregon, that there was not enough stuff in there. There are all these blank spots and white spaces. And so instead of just sending out this, you know, very threadbare publication, he decided just for whatever he was, I think as I understand this, going to just fill it in with stuff that he just made up. Let's just fill in. If we don't have news, let's just make news and put it in there. And so he put it in all kinds of different things. Now, there was one specific thing that he put in there, though, that fascinated me. And I want to share it with you. It was a want ad. This is from the, this is from the Backwoods Home Journal. Let me read this for you in case you can't read it. Wanted. Imagine you're getting this publication. You're living, you're living here in, in Oregon, in Gold Beach, and you get this. Wanted. Somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. P.O. Box 322, Oak View, California, 93022. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I have only done this once before. <laughs> now here's the thing. He wrote that and you would think normal people would read that and be like, ah, that's funny. You know, ah, that's not what happened. The, the minority of the people read this paper. They read this thing and they were like, oh, that's weird. Somebody got bored, and, you know, down there. It's old John from the backwoods home. No, people started to reply to this thing. Started to write letters and emails asking not like funny questions like, what's that from? I mean, it was loosely based upon like an old uh, sci-fi novel that he had read. But the questions were simple things like, hey, how are we going to get there? When are we leaving? Uh... Why is it going to be dangerous? Why do we need weapons? Should I bring my own weapons? He started making logistical questions like, hey, what kind of clothes? You know, what's the climate going to be like? One of the questions I'll never forget, this is legitimately one of the questions. Will there be toilet paper or should I bring my own? I'm like, man, I don't ask that question when I'm going on vacation now. But you time back in travel, you're thinking, well, you got to think ahead. I might be prior to toilet paper days. What do we use prior to toilet paper days? What are we doing? Depends on how far back we're going. I mean, it's an unbelievable thing. He wrote this as a joke. And requests started pouring in from people. He started getting these kinds of questions. He's thinking, these people are serious. They, they not only think we're going back in time, they want to do this as well. 
He started getting more and more requests. And here's the thing that was interesting. This is the part that kind of drew me into this story. He says, the overwhelming majority of the emails and requests from him all were characterized by the same thing. They were characterized by regret. People were writing and it was more so I want to go back in time. But the reason why they wanted to go back in time was because, hey, is it possible for us to go back in time because my daughter died in a car accident and I'd like to go back the day before? Hey, I would like to go back in time to this date because my husband committed suicide and I never paid attention to that. I didn't know what was going on and I would love to have paid more attention. I regret that. People wanted to go back in time because there were hard things that they looked back on that they had not been able to let go of. And even more specifically, the majority of them weren't even just regret over hard things. They were regret over sinful things that people had done. I started to read some. I just want to read these to you. There's one that that said this. We saw your ad recently while here in jail. (laughs) We're all felons and would like to go back and not get caught. They go on, they say, can they, can they get us back in time from where we are? And do we need to travel to California? If so, that might pose a problem since we're stuck here for a while. But maybe you could go back and change things for us. I'm thinking, wow, they've really thought this out. Or another one that read, I've read your advertisement to go back in time. I'm extremely interested in this and would not even require payment. I will not need a weapon and in fact would like to travel back to 1991 or previously to change the events leading to the death of my husband for which I'm in prison. (laughs) Didn't really describe what all went down there. I don't care about my safety. In fact, if I cannot change the events of the past, I would prefer not to even survive. Please contact me by return mail with further information about this possibility. That's crazy. I mean, it was just an interesting thing I read all the time and it sucked me in, but then I started to laugh just like we did. But then I, I think about what they're asking and what they're feeling. And while I go from one moment of laughing because that's ridiculous, there is a thread of understanding what they feel and are going through. And I believe we all do while we're not sitting in prison. I think all of us, though, have at least one moment in our life or multiple moments and multiple things where you look back on and you're like, yep, specifically with mistakes and with past sin where we say, I deeply, deeply regret that. So much so. We've been talking about unsubscribing things and how the enemy latches on to things that we shouldn't latch on to. And the reason why he causes us to be gripped and, and you know, uh, overwhelmed by these things is to keep us from moving forward. This is what the enemy does even with our regret. We spend so much time inundated with thinking about past mistakes that we cannot do what we've been commissioned to do. I'm so gripped and convicted by whatever my past sin was last week or last month or last year. I feel so regretful and I grieve it so much that I don't have any room left to think about going therefore into all the world and sharing the gospel. And even more than that, we think, who am I to even go there for? I'm a hypocrite. Regret. We know that feeling. All of us in this room, we feel that. And I think there's a part of us who laugh at this, but then we think, you know what, if I could go back in time. This is the way we normally think. We get think about it so much. I wish I had a time machine. I wish I could go back in time. But here's the truth for this morning. We can't. And I, and I recognize that sermons like this are hard to hear because you see the world tells us that the way we should deal with our regrets are to try to pretend like they didn't happen 
and to try to not think about them. Or even maybe nowadays the world would tell us to rationalize them so that we don't regret them anymore but yet we feel like they're okay. But, but I would tell you this is not what the Bible teaches. It's not. When we, we come this morning, we begin to understand that while I know that this may be painful for all of us, that when we think about past sins, we think about past regret for mistakes we've made in ways that we've dishonored God, is that, is that I know that that triggers painful, very vivid, very hurtful memories. And we want to forget them. And maybe it's, it's something we said to someone that we regret. Or maybe something, sin that we indulged in. Or an action that we took. Or an emotion that we didn't control. And desperately all I want to do is not remember it and obsess on it and think about it. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. And this is going to sound weird considering I'm preaching a sermon series on unsubscribing from things. Can I tell you something? I don't want you to miss this. Here's the thesis for what I'm talking about. What I understand from the Bible is that we are supposed to feel regret. We're supposed to. I know that's different than the world says. The world would, would say that, you know, people, you, you look it up, go Google regret, and what you're going to see are people that have tattoos all over their body, and it says no regrets. I live with no regrets. That's the goal of my life. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, not at all. Matter of fact, you see those, it's they, they regret getting the tattoo. No regrets. They misspelled it, and they regret that because now it's on there forever. I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I think we, we get a good lesson in this from Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, a church, oh, by the way, that had deep problems. One of the things I'm most thankful for about the church at Corinth is, is that they had every problem that we have today in the church. So this is not a new thing. They, were, they had issues. Let's look at verse 5. Look at this interesting passage of scripture that, that Paul is writing this letter. A real man writing to a real church. He says this. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within us. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. Huh. It's conflicted here. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you grieved, but because you grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see that earnestness, this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, which was Paul, I believe here. But in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are 
comforted. Let me help you understand what was happening here, a little bit of the backstory. Paul had written a letter before this to the church at Corinth. They had done something wrong. It was not a happy letter. It was one that Paul did not want to write. It grieved Paul to write this kind of a letter to the church. He was rebuking them for doing something wrong. What had they done wrong in this instance? There were people in the church, specifically probably one person, an offender, who was going around slandering Paul. Likely. You don't need to listen to Paul. He's a liar. What he says is not true. Slandering his character. Slandering who he was. Speaking things that were not true. Maybe saying things that were true. It still can be slander. You know Paul thought this? It's none of their business. They wanted people to not listen to Paul. They wanted to be listened to. They wanted the notoriety. They didn't want people to be taught the word of God. And they were slandering Paul. And Paul wrote them a letter. Praise God, had the guts to do that and say, this is wrong. It's wrong. It's not honoring to the Lord. Now think about this. Think about the anguish, he says. Even in verse 5, he says, I had this fear within. I was conflicted within. I'm sure writing that kind of a letter does nobody any joy. And, and the waiting on the response has to be the worst. Even nowadays, when I'm involved in this kind of thing, and you're involved in this thing with brothers and sisters or people in your family, the waiting on knowing how they'll reply to that is just agonizing. Are they going to be angry? Are they going to receive this? Are they going to repent of this? Think about having to wait when it's not email or a phone call. He handed this letter to Titus and said, go deliver it. And then you just have to wait. He's in agony. You see that in verse 5? You see him and finally though what we see happening is the news comes back. Titus comes back with a response in verses 6 and 7 and it's good news. He got the reply he wanted from his rebuke. What was it? What was he so excited about? He is rejoicing. He's taking comfort in this. And you want to know what he was rejoicing about? Is that the people in Corinth had Regret, Not that they didn't regret what they did, but that they grieved their sin and deeply mourned and regretted it. Like he says, it didn't make him feel good that they were in a bad situation or they had done something to feel the way they felt, but praise God, he was rejoicing because of the regret. It's what he says in verses 8 through 10. I'm rejoicing that you've grieved. It's grief that led you to repentance. And what we learn here is something so different. We don't think about this. If we listen to the culture and we, we want to spurn the apostles and we don't want to live by, with a perspective that comes from the word of God, then the alternative is I will learn from the TV and from Oprah and the internet and Google and all the self-help articles. And here's what the world will tell you is that we ought to live in a world where we are desperately afraid of regret and avoid it at every turn. And the Bible, specifically here in 2 Corinthians 7, says that's not true. Although it makes an interesting distinction. We would say, the world would say, all regret is bad. And Paul would say, no, some regret is not bad. This verse shows me that there are two kinds of grief. Two kinds of regret. They're not all the same. There is, according to this passage of scripture, good grief, like Charlie Brown would always say. And there is bad grief. There is apparently helpful regrets and unhelpful regrets. Productive regret and unproductive regret. According to the scripture, there is godly regret and ungodly, worldly regret. What's the difference in those two? What's the difference? Let me just take you through a little bit of what, what is the difference. Worldly regret is when you feel sorry for something that you have done something that is sinful, some mistake that you've made, some way that you've disobeyed God. And it's caused you to be embarrassed 
and it's caused you to be punished and it's caused you to experience some kind of a trouble. But the reason why you're upset is because you got embarrassed. You had to have consequences placed in your life and you are experiencing some kind of a hardship. You feel sorry for something you did, but it's because it hurt you. Not that it offended God or it hurt someone else. Worldly regret is says that, you know what, it's not grief because I have disobeyed or dishonored the Father. It is because I have dishonored myself. You'll know you're experiencing worldly regret when the fragrance, the scent of that is selfishness. You know what the scent, the smell of sin will always smell like? The fragrance of it? Selfishness. I don't have to see bacon to smell it and know that it's bacon. You wake up in the morning, man, that's that's the best way to wake up ever. Wake up in the morning, as soon as you wake up, you're like, bacon. I guess it could be something else, but the scent it puts off tells me what it is. I'm convinced that every single sin in your life, the aroma that it puts off is selfishness. When you start to smell the aroma of self and with regret, self-pity and self-focus and and I'm upset about this because of what it did to me and how this is going to change my life, you know what, you're smelling the aroma of sin. This is the aroma of worldly regret. It's like Esau. You know, Romans 12 has this passage where it says Esau sold his birthright and he was upset and it caused him to cry and have tears, but it didn't lead to repentance. Esau was upset because he sold his birthright because now he doesn't have his birthright. He wasn't upset because he did something wrong and it led him to repentance. That's worldly regret. Well, if that's worldly regret, if worldly regret causes you to grieve because of your consequences, because your heart aches, but it's only because you got embarrassed and it's focusing on your own hurt, your own self-pity, what is godly regret? Godly regret, godly grief comes from just the knowledge that your actions and what you did, yes, they embarrassed you. Yes, there's consequences for your life. But the reason why you're deeply mourning and you're deeply grievous is because you have dishonored God you have done something that has displeased him and robbed him of glory godly grief godly regret grieves God's name and you're less concerned with the fact that it dishonors your name the focus of godly regret is God not us the focus of worldly regret is you it's a major difference in those things We know this difference. Let me tell you what, anybody who has a a children in the room, you're a parent, you know the difference in tears that really matter and tears that don't. I know the difference in tears of little Lukey, which I love. He knows this, I'm not going to embarrass him, but I know times where Lukey will do something to daddy, doesn't ask him to do, it happens. And he'll cry, be upset. Sometimes I know and I look at those tears and I know that the reason why he's upset is because I took all of his cars away and his toys. He's not really upset because he disobeyed his father and he dishonored him and he grieved me 
He's upset because he won't be able to go in there and get all those little NASCARs and the balls. And I know as a parent, that's important to me because I just, if I just wait a little bit because he's sad and I feel bad because of the tears, which he has a really good sad face, it makes me feel bad. And if I just give him his toys back, his behavior will never change. He won't really repent of that. There's a difference when you look at it though and there are times where Luke, he will come to me and he really could care less about the cars or the toys. He's broken inside because he has done something that he knows is wrong. And it's serious enough. And because he knows what he did was wrong, it will, he, will, he will work harder to not do that again. There's a difference in the kinds of regret that we have. It's what Paul was talking about in this passage of Scripture. I love this. Look at verse 11. Paul gives us a real description of godly regret. But more so than a description of godly regret, he gives us a description of what godly regret will produce. What will it look like if I have godly regret. Let me tell you what it will look like a person who just has worldly regret, just tears and sobbing and crying and acting like that's the end of it and let's just never talk about it again. That's worldly regret. Well, what will it look like for somebody who, who has absolute deep grief that they have dishonored God? Look at the response that he received about the church at Corinth. He was pleased about this. He was pleased about the regret because it produced this. He says, foresee, verse 11, foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. There's one thing. There's seven things here. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. The Corinthian church had godly regret and they were experiencing regret that wasn't focused on themselves and they could tell by how it looked, by their actions it described what kind of regret they had. They had been rebuked by Paul. They had been busted and it was more than just we're so sorry and we're crying and we're so upset. No, he looked at their actions and by their actions could tell really what the motivation of their heart was. They were earnest. You know what that meant? It meant they were serious about living the right way for God. They had an eagerness to clear themselves. They had been eager to slander Paul and now that they had been rebuked they had an eagerness to make things right. They were indignant about this with themselves. They didn't want to attribute it or about this with the offender they were fearful of the consequences of God's punishment they were longing to make things right with Paul they had a zealousness now to honor Paul they were serious about that they were serious about punishing their own sin and the offender's sin so much so that Paul looked at this and he says now I rejoice on this because they get it so much so that he says at every point you have proved yourself innocent of the matter godly regret listen to me on this is regret that moves someone past just tears and moves them to action and repentance it moves them to do something not just feel something here's the difference the difference in worldly regret and godly regret is who it's focused on and what you do with it. Is it focused on you? Or is it focused on God? Am I just going to sit and stew in it? And wallow around in it? And look back on it? And let the enemy just wreck me with it? Or am I going to address it? Repent of it? Turn the other direction? Confess it? And move on? We all have a bag of regret in this room. If we don't address it, if we don't handle it in the way that God wants us to, here's the thing, it gets bigger and heavier and weightier to the point where it will cripple you. 
crush you. It'll be the kind of grief that we see here in this passage of Scripture that causes death. We need to not ignore it. We need to talk about it in this place. So what I want to do with the rest of our time, I just want to offer anyone in the room, which, oh, by the way, I'm saying that rhetorically, I think it's all of us. I want you to grab your notes, and I want to ask you to do something that will require some faith and a boldness. I want you to grab your notes section, and maybe you do this you know, small where your neighbor can't see it. I want you to write down what your, your biggest regret is. This is not for your neighbor to know. If you really don't care, I guess you can write it big and be like, well, you know, I slandered my neighbor right here. Maybe write that one a little smaller. Here's the reason why I want you to do this. The goal for us is to not crumple this up and pretend like it never happened. I think that's an utter mistake. We're going to write on this thing something we are, yes, we're ashamed of. It's why we don't want to write it down on a piece of paper. I'm not wanting to broadcast this to the world. But I think it's a mistake to say, let's just don't ever think about it again. You know why that's a mistake? Because you know what? When you don't think about it again, you're going to do it again. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to not have any regrets. Let's pretend like it didn't happen. I'm so ashamed of it. And here's what you do. You just start filling your bag up and it never gets any lighter. You'll just keep returning to it over and over and over again. Because you haven't made any changes in your behavior. How can you make any changes in your behavior when you're not thinking about it? I want you to at least think about it this morning. What I want to offer you are three simple reminders. All three of these things that we're going to finish with are in this passage of Scripture, and there is nothing over anyone's head. These are things that, oh, by the way, I think we probably have already covered in the beginning of this sermon. We already know. They are easy for us to understand, but make no mistake, they are really, really, really hard for us to go and live. Especially when we're dealing with Feelings of regret and bitterness and resentment and grief over sin. Just write this down. I want you to, to keep this. When you think about it, when the enemy wants to war with you over this, I want you to remember these three reminders, these three gifts I give you to put in your pocket and pull them out when the enemy comes to you. When he begins to lie to you, pull out the truth of God's word and say, no! You got my permission to do that out loud. I do it all the time. Talk to myself and people are like, that dude's crazy. That's okay. I do what you got to do, man. I talk to myself all the time. Number one thing I want to give you as a reminder if you're experiencing this kind of war with regret. Number one, godly regret is joyous. It's a joyous thing even though it feels horrible. We don't think like that. We want to avoid it because we only think of the downside, which is I feel terrible. Look at verse 9. Look at Paul's response to the fact that the church was living with deep grief and regret over their sin. He says this, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, not just because you feel bad or you're upset, but because you were grieved into repenting. You got Paul in verse 7, he says, I'm comforted by this. There's a joy for this. I'm so excited. Not that you're hurting I'm not, I'm not excited for worldly grief. Worldly grief is just the hurting part. I'm not excited that you're hurting. That What kind of sick person is glad that there's tears coming out of their kid's eye? That's not what I'm talking about. I am rejoicing that it's going to re- produce something in you to your benefit, repentance, that you won't have to struggle with this anymore because you're going to put this to death. Regret spurs that on. Think about it this way. Their pain here in Corinth was a great thing. 
We don't think that way in the world today. Pain is to be avoided at all costs. That's not true. John Piper gave an illustration on the same text of scripture. He said, godly regret is to sin what pain is to disease. That's what he means by that. You know, we experience pain and sometimes it's a wonderful thing. I got nerve endings all over my body. When I touch a hot pot or pan, I experience pain. Thank God. That sounds weird. Thank goodness that when I touch it, it just takes me a half a second to be like, whoo, man, that's hot. Otherwise, I would repeatedly burn myself over and over again. I would leave my hand on the hot pan and it would just mar my hand. Thank goodness for that pain. Otherwise, I wouldn't realize that I got a bigger problem. When I have a toothache, you know, it, there's something there that's causing pain. And yes, the pain is bad, but thank goodness I've got it. It tells me I've got something going on with my body that's bad that needs to be addressed. Pain lets us know that something's wrong in our body. Well, look, godly regret works works that same way it's useful we ought not just unsubscribe from it it's helpful if there's a regret in my life you know what it causes me to look at it and say you know what it is is it just the pain or is it that I'm regretting some sin that needs to be dealt with in my life it leads us away from the diseases of sin from the real catastrophes of sin in our life godly regret pain will lead me away from death causing sin it will lead me away from things that dishonor God it hurts but ultimately it will be a productively good thing so we ask ourselves a question this morning well what are we unsubscribing from because it sounds like you're saying we ought to subscribe to it we are to subscribe to godly regret and unsubscribe from worldly regret God worldly regret let me use the same analogy would say that if I have a toothache I have pain, I'm going to put all of my attention not on the, the cavity and the decay that's causing the pain, I'm just going to put all of the attention on the pain. And so I'll just load up on painkillers. As long as the pain's gone, I'll ignore the real problem. That's a terrible advice. It's like somebody who's got a, a wound in their leg and they're bleeding and they're like, you know what, I, I'm really more focused on the, the pain than I am the gaping wound with the blood coming out. So I'll just take some morphine and the pain's gone. So I guess we're all good but yet I'm still bleeding and I'll die. That's what the world tells us to do. All you need to concern yourself with is making sure the regret goes away however you can do it. So numb up, forget about it, and move on. That's hogwash. And it's terrible advice. It'll lead to death. We're unsubscribing from that. We're unsubscribing from running away from our sinful regret because it hurts. I don't want to ignore it any longer. I want to address it so that it will bring freedom. That leads me to the second little tool I want to put. Not only should it be a joyous thing, godly regret, but godly regret is helpful thing because it, of what it produces. It produces repentance. Look at verse 9. You know, Paul says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. I think it's so helpful for us. I think it's interesting difference. Even in that one sentence, we get a little bit of theology here. I think we get confused. You know what people are confused with in the church? People are confused. They think regret and repentance are the same thing. They're not. Feeling sorry about my sin and turning from it, totally different things. I'm convinced most people regret their sin. They just don't ever turn from it and take any action. Paul uses different words here. 
I love that. You get to verse 9 and he says, you know what? I, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into doing something about it. Repenting is the word there. Regret leads to repentance. They're not the same thing. Feelings of sorrow and guilt for past sin is different than the actions and the behavior we take to deal with it and address the regret. How do you know if you're dealing with godly regret or worldly regret? Let me tell you this. Godly regret will always be evidenced by godly action. How do I know if somebody really is serious that they have dishonored God? Then I will look at their life and see if there's any real action or repentance. Don't tell me you're sorry about your sin and you're grieving it. And you're doing nothing to address it. You're not really sorry. You're just sorry God took your toys away. You're just sorry that you have the regret. You're not sorry of what it's done to dishonor God's name. The Corinthians regretted what had happened here, what they had done to Paul because it grieved the Father. It was sinful. What did it do? It didn't create tears in them. One of the things that he mentioned in that list of seven things in verse 11 that was a product of godly grief. It wasn't even tears. He didn't even say, oh, I know they're serious because they were crying. No, it was earnestness, eagerness, fear, indignation, zeal, punishment. Godly regret is useful. It causes us to look back, but so that we can take steps to move forward. And it leads me to this last tool. Yes, godly grief is not something we ought to ignore. It's something that's useful. It should be joyous, even though I know it feels bad. It's it's helpful, it's productive because I know it produces actual repentance that leads me away from sin that causes the regret. But third, godly regret, according to this passage of Scripture, according to verse 10, leads to salvation. It produces repentance. Repentance is an action I take to walk away from sin. And what that then produces is the glorious good news of all the reason why we would want to not sweep this under the rug. Because what it will do is produce salvation. It will produce freedom from the regret. If Allah will address it now and recognize the pain now and take steps to walk away from that sin, guess what comes with the territory? It means I get to also walk away from the regret of committing those sins over and over again. What a wonderful thing. Let's address it and be done with it. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. Godly regret leads to salvation. Verse 10 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation Without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Let me tell you what the mark of a real believer is. I think we've bought lies in the church. And I'm going to tell you what, this is a real struggle for pastors. We have bought the lie that once I become a believer, that I'm done with sin. We laugh. But we, we also would never let that come out of our mouth because we've been in Bible study too much, but then we go live like that's true. If there was ever a place on the whole planet that we ought to feel comfortable coming together and confessing our sins to one another, it ought to be in this church, and yet it's the last place for a lot of us. I can't go in there and tell them I got sin in my life. They'll think I got sin in my life. Everybody already knows you've got sin in your life. I feel this as a pastor more than you, I would bet. It's an unfair thing for pastors. People will literally, because we stand on podiums, think that somehow I've resigned the fact that I'm a human being with a sinful nature. Pastors are not allowed to be sinful people. It's an incredible burden. I believe that lie sometimes. Oh, God forbid they think that I did anything wrong. Everybody knows I do stuff wrong all the time, but you, you live with this pressure. And can I, can I 
number one, give you a little bit of freedom without saying, I'm not giving you a license to go sin. Paul talked about this. I'm not saying that now you have grace to just go and sin it up. Paul would say, by no means. But understand this, the mark of a true Christian is not sinlessness. It's quite the opposite. The mark of a true believer is not that they won't not have sin in their life. No, it's, it's not the absence of sin. It's the presence of repentance. Everyone has sin. Believers are still struggling with sin until we stand in front of Jesus one day. I mean, every inclination of my heart is evil. You know, my flesh is fundamentally opposed to God in every single way. And so I'm just in a battle. That's the way I look at it. Between my flesh and this work of the Spirit in me. Just an absolute war. I mean, I can hear Paul's words in Romans 7. He would say, look, the things I hate to do, I keep doing them. The things I want to do, I don't do them. He's frustrated. This is most of my life. And what a wretched man am I. Oh, I wish I were in the presence of the Lord and absent from this body right now. I wish it were over. I wish sanctification was complete. I wish I was standing in front of the Lord and done with this sin. It grieved him. Sick of it. But what I know is that the difference in a believer and an unbeliever isn't that we both have sin. The presence of repentance in a believer, though, is a mark of a believer. If I don't know the Lord and the presence of the living God's not living in me, there will be no part of me who I am that will say, oh yeah, let's turn away from everything my body desires and walk away from that. I'm not going to do that. That's just confirmation that God's working in my life. That is fundamentally opposed to everything this world teaches and everything we are as human beings to walk away from sin. Everything in the world and my flesh says, no, you give yourself what you need. Gratify yourself. Make yourself happy. The mark of a true believer is not the absence of sin. It's the the presence of repentance. We know we're sinful. We know we have a need for a savior. We have the spirit of the living God living in us that that convicts us of sin and empowers us to do that very thing. Let me tell you something. Regret is important. In order for me to get to the good news of Jesus Christ, I have to be aware of the bad news, which is that I am sinful. Amen. The gospel is not a one and done thing. In 1991, I trusted Jesus because I knew that I could not deal with my sin and I needed what he did for me on the cross to cover that sin and take my place and pay my penalty and and take the wages which I deserve, which is death. That was awesome. But let me tell you something. The gospel is at work in my life every single day overcoming sin. Every single day in my life. You know what it is? It is me repenting, 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 walking away from sin Hopefully, more and more and more and more. Let me just tell you, give me some freedom. Right now, today, sin. Yep. Yesterday, sin. Thank God, though. No sin in my life is a stronghold or an addiction. And thank God I'm making progress. Repentance. I'm so thankful when Paul looked at his little ministry sponge, Timothy. He's teaching him how to do this as a young teenage pastor. He said, hey, do all these things I'm telling you so that everybody else will see your progress. Thank God he didn't say perfection because now we're just disqualified from ministry. We ought to be making progress. We ought to be putting sin to death. That is not possible without some godly regret. Godly regret will cause me to kill sin. It will cause me to disgust sin because it dishonors God and God disgusts that same sin.